Hello Life Changes Church, welcome to our YouTube channel. We have got an amazing word prepared for you, so why don't you take out your notebook and your pen as we get ready to listen to what God has for us. Thank you, Mark. It's a great joy to be back with you again. I realize there are always new people, so I might be a strange face to many of you. Uh, strange face anyway, but it's good to be uh, with you again, and I pray I can be a blessing to you in the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel and chapter 2. John and chapter 2, a very well-known story in the Bible. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were there six stone water pots for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now. Take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Holy Spirit, come and make these wonderful words live. Come now. Rest upon us. Be our teacher. Let your word live to us. Win our hearts, we pray. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, one of the elders of the church that I have led for many years uh, came to church and uh, sat down with his wife and children. His name was Steve Horn. And uh, he's just saying hi to people and settling down, and they sat there. And he picked up the bulletin. We didn't have big overhead stuff at that time. We had a bulletin. And uh, he picked up the bulletin to see what was happening this week. And uh, yeah, interesting, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned over the other side, and he read this. Today, Steve Horn is preaching at Heathfield Church. He said goodbye to his wife and children, fled the building, and drove the 20 miles to the church and got there just in time, he reckoned. They started a little later, so he just about made it, just about made it. I remember once I was speaking at our Stonely Bible Week. Stonely was a, uh, an event in the summer in England. Yeah, we do have some summer. And uh, <laughs> while we were there over 10 years, it grew and grew and grew and grew. In the end, it was 30,000 people uh, in tents and caravans and, and, and spread over a large ag agricultural showground. And uh, we would go through the word. I was taking a series, I think it was on Nehemiah. And I'm doing uh, two or three evenings. 
and we just had the worship, and there's been thousands of people worshiping. It was a huge, huge privilege to be on that platform and sing the praises of God. And, and then, you know, there came the end of the worship, and I went and sat down at the back of this rather large platform, and, and there were the, not- the inevitable notices. And uh, I think, right, I just uh, look at my notes for uh, tonight's preach. And I opened my Bible, and there's last night's notes. I think, where's my, where's my notes? Uh, they're not there. And I look at these thousands of people, and I think, oh, God. And so I'm sitting there in utter horror and fear and terror, and, and I think there's nothing for it. I just kind of get off the platform, and uh, I go out, and I run, I run. And, and there's ladies out there with babies in prayer. What's Terry Virgo running up there for? And I'm running with all... I go and get my stuff. I come back. I think, now the embarrassment of walking on... Oh, no, there's another item. Oh, thank God. I forgot. We don't often have items, but there was an item. So I just slipped back on the platform as though I knew exactly what I was doing. And... Um, <laughs> and sat down and then got up to preach. You know, why, why do I tell these terrible, stupid stories? Well, they're about something on the edge of disaster that just about gets saved. It could have been so embarrassing. It could have been a disaster. Yeah. And this, this story is about people on the edge of a disaster. People who are in real trouble because there's a wedding. Actually, Wendy and I have been to Cana. It's a small, bustling town now. But in these days, it would have been a tiny village. And probably this wedding was, well, the thing that everyone was waiting for. It's probably the village wedding, I guess, most people would have turned up. The thing they would all have remembered. You know, when she got married. Do you remember that? It was wonderful. That wonderful wedding, except it was going to be the wedding that would never be forgotten. Because they ran out of wine. And the shame in this shame culture of running out. I mean, what a terrible thing. You didn't prepare properly. You failed us all. And they were, they're on the edge of running out. And so this is a word this morning for people, yeah, yeah on the edge maybe. maybe. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how much longer I can go on. Maybe the, you're running out of hope. Maybe you're running out of money. Maybe you're running out of energy of time, peace of mind. You feel, I'm just running out. Uh, and maybe, maybe you're here, you think, I'll give it one more Sunday. Because, well, I don't know, I haven't got much more to give. This is really a story for people who feel, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and nobody else knows yet. You know, we've come, hey, great to see you. Hi, hi, hi. Maybe like in this story, you've spoken to one person. Someone had gone to Mary and said, we're out of wine. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. I don't know how we're going to make it. Maybe just to one person. You've not told many. Hi, it's great. But below the surface, we're, on, we're in trouble. And that's what this story is about. And it's about how Jesus actually solves the whole thing, turns it around. So let's look into the story. It says, first of all, in John's gospel, at the end of the, chap- the, end of, uh, the gospel, John says this, interesting. He says, In chapter 20, verse 30, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 
That's why John, John's got so many things. He said, I could have written so many stories, but I've written the ones, I've written the ones that might help you believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not just an ordinary history book. It's not like, I want you to believe Julius Caesar really lived. It's like, no, when you believe in Christ, something happens. When you believe in Christ, you get life. There's a, there's a dynamic experience when you believe in Him. It's something that happens to you. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. You believe and something happens. And he said, I've, I, I, I've told you about these signs. Seven of Jesus' miracles in John's Gospel are called signs. He does lots of miracles, but seven of them are called signs. They're pointing somewhere. They're showing you the way. This is the first one. This is the first sign that Jesus performed. So let's have a look. He's at a wedding, and the, the, the commentators, the authorities, tell us that weddings could last up to seven days. Wedding events, parties. They knew how to party. This could be a pretty prolonged event, a celebratory time in this Jewish context. And Jesus, first of all, is invited to the party. Right? That's the first thing I want us to take note here. Jesus was happy to be at a party. I, ho I hope your, your vision of Jesus is that he's happy to be at a party. Let's take that. He became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the Bible says. He, he pitched his tent amongst us. He came amongst us. He, he didn't just come to the synagogue on Sunday, you know, and on the temple on special days, and you know, the rest of the time he's hidden. No, he came into people's lives. He's happy to be at a party. He's happy to be at a wedding where he's not the center yeah. of attention. Yeah. At a wedding, other people are the center of attention. Other people are, all eyes are on the couple. He's, he's happy to be there. And I've never been to a Jewish wedding, but I've seen some Jewish parties on television and on screens, and hey, they look like they're having a lot of fun. You see all these guys arm in arm dancing along, you know, and I don't think Jesus would have been a wallflower looking on. I think he'd have been in it. He would, listen, he became flesh and dwelt among us. He's happy to be among us. He said, I've come that you might have life. He didn't say, I've come that you might have meetings and have them abundantly. He said, I've come that you might have life. I want to invade your life. I want to be with you in life. Jesus is happy to be at the party. That's the Jesus. He's not just in a, a glass-stained window. He's there with them at a party. I hope you're, you're Jesus. Your concepts of Jesus. No, he's happy to be in my life. He wants to be right in our lives. And then the second thing I notice is this. It's a wedding. He's happy to be at a wedding. Now, weddings are kind of going out of fashion in England. Uh, it was uh, in the press recently, more babies in England were born last year out of wedlock than in. Less and less people are bothering to get married. They don't like commitment. Guys are scared to commit. And so the, the girl hears these wonderful words, will you? And she thinks, ah, move in. Oh, it's like, it's, you know, that's, that's, the new, that's the new proposal. Would you like to move in? And it's like, we'll see how it goes because we're scared of commitment. We don't like commitment. But Jesus is happy to endorse a wedding. In fact, you'll find often at weddings that the, the preacher, if he goes through a marriage ceremony, will often use words like this. Jesus, by his presence at the wedding of Cana, is affirming marriage. God loves marriage. 
he's for marriage. It's interesting when uh, the Bible starts, it says, uh, so a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's God's intention. That's God's purpose. The beginning of the Bible talks about a marriage. And do you know what? The end of the Bible finishes with a marriage supper. God is for marriage. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, he, he has terrific impact. Thousands gather to him. Thousands go out to be baptized. It says all Judea went out to hear him. This is a phenomenal thing. And they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're waiting for? He said, no, no, no. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. That's how he describes himself. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, this imagery of bride and groom is something the Bible loves. This sense of joining. Jesus is happy to be there. He's happy to celebrate this. It says in Micah, there are three things the Lord requires of you, O man. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's a famous Bible verse people often take out. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That word mercy, is, uh, it's a word chesed, and it means covenant love. God wants us to love covenant love. We've committed. We mean business. We love working out our covenant. Jesus is happy to be at a wedding. Jesus is happy to endorse marriage. He's there. He's there to be present. He's there not as a center of attention. He's just happy to be there and celebrate it with them. But it's into that context comes this very strange conversation. Jesus is approached by his mother and she says, they've no wine, they're running out of wine. Now the answer is really strange because Jesus says to her, woman? You think, woman? I, mean, I never spoke to my mum like that. I never said, woman. <laughs> and if you have an NIV, New International Version, you'll find the word dear in the text. I give you full permission to take your pen and cross it out because it isn't there. The word dear is not in the Greek. It's just woman. I think, wow, what a way to talk to your mum. Woman. Strange thing. Now, I don't want to overstate it because from the cross, when Jesus is enduring unspeakable pain and suffering, he looks down on Mary. And there again, he says, woman, behold your son. John is standing there. And then says, John, behold your mother. So we mustn't read too much in, but it's a very strange way. It's the same word he used in John 4 when the woman at the well, who's been married five times, he says to her, woman, I think, well, yeah, okay, but this is your mother, woman. But not only that, did you notice the next thing? He says, why do you involve me? It says in the NIV. Or what do I have to do with you? What a funny thing to say your mother. And if you know your Gospels at all, you'll think that has a familiar ring to it. What have I got to do with you? You think, where have I heard that before? You'll find it a few times in the gospel stories. Probably the most famous one is when Jesus crossed a stormy lake and found a guy who was living among the tombs and he broke chains and couldn't be bound. He's full of demons. He's called Legion. And Jesus walks to him. Jesus crossed the lake to get to him. He comes to this demonized guy and the guy says to him, what have I got to do with you? That's how he talks to Jesus. 
It's exactly, it's exactly the same phrase. What have I got to do with you? It's like, ugh. You are different. You are other. I am full of demons. You are not. I mean, it's like, what have I got to do with you? It's the same phrase. I don't think Jesus said it like that to Mary. What have I got to do with you? I don't. <laughs> but it's exactly the same phrase, word for word. In fact, if you translated it from the Greek word for word, you'd read, what to me and to you. Well, you can't say that, can you? So they say, what have I got to do with you? And that's, I mean, Legion is saying, you are other than me. You are so different. What have I got to do with you? You're... And Jesus uses that phrase talking to his mother. Why? What on earth's going on? Well, I think we need to notice the setting of this wedding. The setting of this wedding is that, yeah, it's a big social occasion in that small village. And Jesus has been invited to the wedding. Jesus of Nazareth. He's been living there. That's his world. He's in Cana now, that area where these little villages are. And he's been invited. It's like, you may, don't forget the wedding. You know, she's getting married. Don't forget your, yeah, okay, we'll be there, we'll be there. He's at the wedding. It's a social occasion. But it says his disciples are with him. Ah, he's got disciples now. Okay, so something's happened. He's got disciples. You see, Mary has had Jesus in her world now for 30 years. 30 years. He's been living at home. And you can read in the story that when he was a little boy, you remember when he was a little boy, they went up to the temple, and, and after they'd been to this big event at the, at the temple, they're making their journey back up to Galilee, and they're a the large extended family. And two or three days on, they said, where's Jesus? Oh, he's probably with uncle or he's that one. He's not. He's nowhere. Jesus is not with us. And they turn around and go back to look for Jesus. And they discover him. They have a conversation. Then it says this. Jesus went with them and was obedient to them. See, Jesus was a perfect child. He was innocent. He was holy. He was perfect. He, he, he had lived in this home as a perfect child. He was a perfect teenager. Oh, think about it. A perfect, he's a perfect teenager. <laughs> and he went through his 20s. And if you look at the gospel stories, Joseph kind of disappears. As the story goes on, there's no record of it, but Joseph is not there, and it is assumed that he died young. He's not there later on in the story. There's a family, there's brothers and sisters referred to, but he's not there at the end. So Mary probably gets used to Jesus being the perfect sort of figure, rock-like figure in the home. I'm sure she turned to him often. I'm sure there were difficult challenges. And she's got a perfect son. She, she would have looked to him. He would have been there for her all the time, always there for her, always, yes, of course, I'll look after her. And now they've come to this wedding. And she's used to turning to Jesus, who is kind of wonderful, the most kind servant heart you could ever meet. And she turns to him. But listen, something has happened. He's got disciples with him. What does that mean? It means that he's been baptized. It means that he stepped out of obscurity. He went to the River Jordan, where thousands were gathering, being baptized. And John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God fall upon Jesus. And Jesus is baptized. And when he's baptized, the heavens open. And God says, this is my beloved Son. 
in whom I'm delighted. This is him. This is my son. This is my son. And so Jesus, beloved, has started his public ministry. The hidden son of a carpenter has stepped onto the page of messianic ministry. He is the king now. He's the Messiah. He's come about a great work. He's the one who carries the kingdom forward. He's now going to be a, a figure of incredible power and authority. Amazing things will happen. Crowds will press in to get to him. They'll come through the roof. They'll be all around him. He'll feed thousands. He's at the beginning. He's just starting. He's just starting. He says, this is the first sign, John says. It's the very first sign. It happened at a wedding. It happened at a party. It didn't happen at a temple. It didn't happen at the synagogue. He's happy to do miracles. He's just happy to be in your life for you there. But Mary's used to him being there for her. And he somehow rebukes her or withstands her. D.A. Carson, the famous theologian commentator, says this. We must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus, by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. Just read that last bit again. He's declaring at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. In other words, Mary, I'm no longer at your disposal. I'm not here just for you. I've got to be free. I've got to step into my ministry. There's a moment of change going to happen in your life. I'm not here just for you. Now, why do I undermine that? Well, beloved, to be honest, we can sometimes get like that. We think Jesus is there for us. It's a great deal. You know, I've got my home, I've got my family, I've got my career, my job, maybe my kids. And I've got Jesus too. It's really helpful. I mean, he's really there. He's wonderful. Jesus, parking space, please. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're, I mean, you're just there for me. It's so wonderful. You're there for me. And we can sometimes carry that over. We think, well, no, Jesus is there for me. That's the whole deal. He's there for me. And sometimes people stop coming to church and they wander off. And you go and say, you know, you're not with us anymore. Oh, he didn't do anything for me. He didn't do anything for me. And they've got the message. That's what it's about. He's there for me. He's there just to, you know, look after stuff. You know, I'll get on with my job. I'll get on with my family, my plan, my vacation, all that. And Jesus, it's great having Jesus. You know, we love him. He's there for us. And, and Mary's learning, uh, Mary, it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. That's not the way it's going to be. So well, you say, well, doesn't Jesus care? Is he not going to solve their problem? Is he going to let them run out of wine then? No, he's, he's going to care. The wonderful thing is he does care. He cares for you if you're in difficulties this morning. He really cares for you. He wants to help, but beloved, notice how he helps. How does he help? He helps by taking over. That's how he helps. He takes over. So he doesn't just solve your problem, he solves your problem by taking over. And that could be the root of your problem. He's never taken over before. So you have a, 
a kind of wrong relationship with him, thinking he's there just to help. Yeah, he wants to help, but beloved, we've got problems. We need changing profoundly within. Sometimes we've hit problems because we've just done our own thing, and we just say occasionally, if you're there for me, Jesus, help me, and, and we haven't understood he'd come to change things. He's come actually, his kingdom is going to break out at this fitting. This is the first sign. This is Jesus, the Lord of glory, coming to your party. There's some problems. He's going to solve it. How does he solve it? Look, this is how he solves it. He gives instructions that are specific, that are unreasonable, and require faith and obedience. Right? They're unreasonable. It's crazy. Fill the water pots. Fill the water pots. I don't understand. Which part of fill the water pots don't you understand? So we're like, I don't understand. No, no, no. Jesus said, fill the water pots. It's simple. A child could understand. A child could understand. But it doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable. Yeah, because you're now meeting with someone who lives in another dimension, who has ability to do stuff you never dreamed possible. But he has to be in control. He has to have authority. That's how he saves us. That's how he changes things for us. He doesn't want to change things just solving problems for you while you just wander on through life. He wants to change life. He wants to give us fullness of life. The way he does that is not let us wander through life and occasionally call on him. It's by his taking over our lives. Then he gives you a new kind of life. See, it's, it's, it's un, unreasonable. It's like Jesus, uh, he says, we're out of wine. Fill the water pots. Uh, no, Jesus, Listen. Listen, I don't think you're listening, Jesus. There's nothing wrong with the water pots. It's wine we're after. That's the wine. Yeah, yeah, okay. Fill the water pots. Listen, Jesus, I don't think you're listening. There's nothing wrong with the water pots. We're out of wine. That's our problem. Fill the water pots. It's like you might be here this morning saying, you people seem to have peace. I've been around you. The way you sing, you're happy. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love your peace. How do you get peace in this difficult world? I mean, it's problems, difficulties. How come you've got peace? Well, we want to talk to you about Jesus. No, no, not Jesus. The peace. No, we want to talk about the cross. The cross of Jesus. God, forget it. It's 2,000 years old. Forget the thing. No, it's peace I'm after. So you, you have to listen to the message. The message is our problem is in ourselves. That we've gone against God. We've all gone our own way. And God's made an answer. God's made a provision. You have to listen to what he says. And when you listen to what he says, everything changes. Everything gets into line. Everything. And and I know for myself, I I became a Christian when I was 16. And uh, I'd never heard there was a gospel. I didn't know there was a gospel. My parents were not Christian. I'd never been to church. I'd never... See, the Bible, there's no Bible in our home. Nobody prayed. There's no, nothing about God. And then my sister went to London. She wanted to go on the stage. She went to drama college. She's beginning to get small parts. You know, God bless her, sort of thing, you know. And then one, one weekend, she came home to my hometown in Brighton, south coast of England, and she said, I've become a Christian. I said, how would you become a Christian? I've never heard anybody say that. She said, no, I've become a Christian. What do you mean? She said, I've been born again. I thought, what on earth is that? And then she spoke to me. She said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? 
And I, I've never been asked that question before. And I said, he's supposed to have been raised on the third day, isn't he? I just said casually, he's supposed to be. And she said, that means he's alive. And you know, God can own phrases. I thought, th he's alive. And then she began to tell me why he died and what happened. And all our guilt could be taken away. And I thought, I've never, once, why have I never been told this before? And it was all kind of ringing true. I thought, hey, this is true. And this is my sister. It's not some strange person knocking a door. I can see she's radically changed. And that night, I knelt and asked Christ into my life. And I was amazed. I felt it happen. I thought, wow, this is real. I know God now. <laughs> Amazing. But, you know, I was, I was a very ungodly person. And I carried on with all my friends. I, you know, I had a circle of friends, acquaintances. I'm a teenager. I'm living in a coastal town, comes alive at the weekends. I had a boring job in London. I had to travel to London every day. Boring job. We live for the weekends, partying. I got drunk very often. You know, I'm going, going through my teenage years, and I'm a Christian at 17, 18, 19. I'm a Christian, 20. But I'm in church. From now on, I'm in church every Sunday. I'm always there. But Saturday night, whew, I could have been anywhere. Friday night, jazz club. Saturday night, this, that. I mean, I'm out. I'm out there. I'm, just, I'm in the world. I'm in church on Sundays. And that's how it was for me. It was a terrible double life. I just hoped no one would see me, but church people didn't go where I went. So it was like <laughs> I was living a double world. A double world. This is true. And one day, I, I was 20. One day, I'm in church on a Sunday morning. And I was often kind of convicted. I knew I was a Christian because I knew I was a bad Christian. I always felt being told off, you know. But I, I got over it and carried on. And then one Sunday, the guy's preaching. And he's preaching from Galatians where it says, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And I, it just got to me. It was quite a big church, 700 members, packed church. I, I didn't really know anybody. I'm right on the edges of things. Anonymous, really. But that morning, I felt like I'm the only person in church. And I felt God spoke to me. He can do that. He said, I want your life. I want it now, and I won't speak to you about this again. And it was that final line that scared me. Because I'd often felt convicted. I'd often thought, I shouldn't do this, and I'd try it, and then I'd give up. But this line, I won't speak to you about this again. I thought, wow, where will I finish up if I keep living my own life? I knew, I knew that, that what I'd found was the answer. I knew it was the reality. I knew this is life. What will happen to me if I just drift off? And I went home and I, I cried to God. I said, Lord, okay, I give you my life. But I didn't know how you live it. I didn't know how do you live the Christian life? I haven't a clue. I'll give, I'll give you my life. And the funny thing was, I went out on my motor, I used to have a motor scooter. And on the Friday, the next Saturday, because I said to my friends, this is my last weekend with you. I thought I'd go out with them once more. This is the last time. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Last time. I mean, coming up to my 21st birthday, I didn't know how to celebrate. How do you have a party? Anyway, I just, so I, I thought, okay, one more. I went out one weekend. They said, oh, you'll be back next week. You'll be back. I said, no, I'm, this is a mean business. 
And the next week, out came my motor scooter. I drive down to Brighton. I mean, it's full of young people. There's two universities in town. It's full of young people. The bars are overflowing. I love it. I love it. I'm in it. I think, no, 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 no. I turn around and I drive back home into the quiet part of town. All the lights, I'm leaving the lights behind. I go home and put my motor scooter away. I go into the house. My parents are watching television in the other room. And I sit indoors on Saturday night. And I think, I'm going to die. And uh, <laughs> I, I really, I really, I thought, I'm a young man. There's life ahead of me. And that's, I mean, Saturday, the, the young people of the church used to say, Christianity is life with a capital L. And I used to think, Christianity is hell with a capital H. I'm sitting at home on Saturday night. I'm going to die. That's the end. And you know, for the first time ever, I, I went and found a Bible. And I started reading. And I started reading the book of Acts like a book. I'd never done that before. And I'm reading the book of Acts. And I think, wow. This is pretty exciting, really. And, and a little bubble of hope. I thought, maybe I won't die. It's a bit like the, like the Jews when they cross the Red Sea. And then there's no water. I think we're going to die. I, th I thought, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to die. How do you live this life? But now I can dance on my grave. God gave me life. God took over. That whole life went, and a completely new life started. I just said, Lord, okay, you have it from now. Have you done that yet? Have you done that yet? Have you said, Lord, Okay, whatever he says. You see, that's what Mary said. Mary did well, didn't she? You know, well, well, woman, you know, she, no, whatever he says to you. I think, well done, Mary. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost a summary of Christianity. It's not the whole picture, but whatever he says to you. Are you there? Have you, is that, have you done that? See, beloved, that is the key. Is saying, Lord, whatever you say. You, you can have a Christianity where he's there for you. He's very kind, but that's not the real thing. The real thing is when Jesus takes over. And to me, it was very hard. I lost all my friends. My parents said to me, you're going religious. What's wrong with you? It looked like terrible, but it became something wonderful. Wonderful. I could never have, I could never have dreamed what God had for me. I could never have dreamed as Mark said earlier, the privilege of traveling all over the world, preaching the gospel, raising a family, finding a wonderful wife. You think, man, a life. Well, God had a wine bubbling over. He got so much for me. But I thought, I'm going to die. That's what I felt. Saturday night indoors, this is hell. No, 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 it was the beginning. Whatever he says to you. Have you done that yet? So you could do that this morning. That's how it was for me. One day, everything changed. From that time on, Lord, whatever you say. It just changed everything. I got to know him like I'd never known him before. I got to understand him. I got to see how he does amazing miracles. How he steps on the scene. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's what God wants for us. That's his word to us. He can. He can. Not just give you like they had a, they're on the edge of some disaster. Maybe you feel that. 
Maybe it is your marriage. I don't know if we're going to make it. Maybe you're told one person. I'm not sure we're going to make this. This was a crisis on the edge of happening. Jesus solved it all. He solved it when he became Lord. When they did what he said. Will you do that? You can do that today. You can start a new kind of Christian life where he is in charge. He makes things work. He'll give you many signs of his glory. Let's just pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord Jesus, so much. You came to give us life. You came to rescue us from our isolation, our independence, our having to work out all our own problems. We thank you. You came to be Lord. Father, I just ask you right now, if you know God's spoken to you, why don't you pray something like, Lord, I don't know if I've done this yet, but I want to do it today. I don't want to run my own life. Please take over my life. Will you do that right now? Just say it to God, Lord. Terry did it. Terry just gave his life over. I want to know you like that. I want you to be in charge. Please help me. Please help me. Let me start a new life. Let me start again. Come and do it for me, Lord. Come and do it for me. I'd just like to pray for you. If, you, if you've prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that, but if you've prayed that prayer, would you let me... Would you let me pray over you? If, if you're saying yes to Jesus today, just where you are, while everyone's praying, would you just stand right where you are? If you're doing this for the first time, say, Lord, you take over now. Would you just stand right now? I'm going to pray for you. Just stand right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Any more? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Lord Jesus, we want you to be famous. And we, oh, we want a famous wedding. We want a life where you change everything. And people want to know why. People want to understand who you are. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, bless these who are standing. In the name of Jesus, let this be the beginning of something completely different. Let this be a new day starting a new way. Let it be, Lord, more than a, just a token thing, but something very real for each one of us. Let it be real for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we step into something of fellowship with you in a new way. Come, Holy Spirit, make it real, we pray. In Jesus' name. Could we all stand, please? What an amazing, amazing word. If you would like to find out about what's happening in the life of the church, why don't you follow us on our social media, Instagram or Facebook, or you can go into our website, lifechanges.org.za. Thank you so much for watching that video. Be blessed.